Welcome to Ports of Praise Online. This is a message from Pastor Clay Williams entitled God's Grace from his series on doctrine. We can walk out the next few minutes without getting tore up, we'll be okay. All right. Um it is tough when you're it's tough being in the battle. Period. But it's tough when you have to take an extended time. I mean, I think soldiers they try to pull them out used to a tour of duty was 9 months. But what it is now, I think they've extended it a year, year and a half for our soldiers and uh they get very weary. And so we need to pray for rest. And uh, uh, maybe maybe that's why the Lord has orchestrated us to teach on this subject tonight. Because perhaps this is what you need. I know it's what I need. but uh, And I, I would assume that you need this too. So tonight we are going to discuss the attribute of God's grace. And... Um, I apologize for not having a an overhead, um, but such is life. So, um, I, I believe that uh, there's a passage in, I think it's First Samuel, where it says. Saul did not anoint his shield with oil. And the reason that he would have anointed his shield is because it was wrapped in leather. And because of the elements, because of the um, just the age and the natural condition of leather, if it was to remain unoiled, it would become brittle. And it would not appropriately reflect darts, swords, arrows of the enemy. Now, we need oil poured into us. We do. I, I really believe that. Um, I believe that as a body and as a congregation, that where we have been for the last several years, um, we there, some of us have, have been like, Saul, whose shield has not been anointed with oil. And we've went into battle and we've taken some wounds. And we've taken some offenses. And we've taken uh, some hard hits. And some of us have, have looked, I, I, I know that I have, I've looked to God for Him to apologize to me. Because I've taken some hard hits. Um. I believe that uh, if my father were here tonight, he would probably be in this boat. Um, that with um, you know the passing of his wife before the 40, their fortieth anniversary, I felt I believe that at one point in his his time he would have told you he felt like God let him down. Um, I you know, it, it, but what about you? You know what what about what about you tonight? What? Where have you been? And, and what's been going on in your heart? And it doesn't have to be church related. It be, it's family related. It's home, you know, it's home related. It's business related. You know, it's kind of what we've been talking about with Habakkuk. It's friend related. I mean, has anybody ever had friends let you down? You know, have you ever taken almost, you felt like a mortal wound from a friend? So, um, you know, I just really feel like that, that, that one of the things that we really need to understand and get the concept of is the idea of God's grace as as first off a, a part of his character but second secondly um God just doesn't give us grace at salvation but he extends grace to us in our life 
He extends grace to us, and we're going to talk about tonight some different ways that He extends grace to us. And I think it's going to be very important for you, and I hope that God would help us, that He would, that He would hopefully speak to our hearts to see how, within the context of a local church, um, how he, he gives grace to us. Um, so let us pray, and then we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed, um, and uh, we're going to move forward. Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace that is sufficient. We thank you, Father, for your mercy that has been made new to us even today. Father, we thank you for um, all that you have done and all that you will do. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you honor tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. There you go. Okay. All right, Apostles' Creed, instead of having it on the board, everybody has a copy. Uh, I want to challenge you to do something. Um, unfortunately, there's no accountability with this, um, so I don't know that you will do it. But people lived and died for this creed. Um, commit this creed to memory. Um, these are things that the church hammered out in their early stages to keep from error from coming in. And, um, you know, um, <laughs> I, am, uh, I am convinced that this will help us and keep us from error. I'm convinced that this will strengthen us. I'm convinced that this will encourage us. If we need it. So if you would, you have your paper. If you will, read it along with me. You ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, interesting fact I found out last night about church history is what came first, Roman Catholic Church or the Protestant Church? If I would have answered real quick and not and realized this might be a trick question, so I'm going to be quiet too, <laughs> I would have said Roman Catholic Church, Protestant Church. That's it. That's it. Now, and you know what? Because we've said, I should have realized this because the Apostles' Creed addresses that when it talks about Holy Catholic Church, because it's small c, it's it's the universal church. So. Um, you know, it's. It, I, I should have probably realized that it was the Protestants that that formally started their own sect of Christianity, if you will. Um, so anyway, uh, just a little church history note there. Um, well, let's uh, let's start off and and let's look at Romans chapter two tonight. And, and I want to just look at verse 4. It says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Look at this last thing. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Does anybody have a different translation? Okay. The goodness of God. Any other, any other word there used? Is it goodness and kindness? Only two, right? Okay. The goodness of God. What did we talk about last week? Okay. Love and goodness. Alright. And we said that it was His goodness that draws us. This is Romans 2.4. Alright. Uh, we said that God alone is good. There is none good. Jesus said that. There's none good but God. So, a lot of people, when they talk about the grace of God, 
what they do is they almost want to put it up under goodness as a category. And what they want to do is they want to say that the grace of God is really a subcategory of God's goodness because He ultimately and only is good, thereby He gives grace to His people. So, you know, that's interesting, and I believe that it's right. Romans 2, 4 says the goodness of God, the kindness of God, is what leads men to repentance. How are we saved? Come on, there's a verse. For by grace. Alright. So, if God, God in His goodness extends grace to us, and it's by grace that we're saved. Through faith. Alright, what does the rest of the verse say? It's not of our, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. <laughs> alright, very good, kind of. Um, alright. So it's not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. Why would he say that? Not a trick question. Okay. So, alright, so that he would, alright, John will have to have you say that in a minute. So what? So that we know that we don't have any part in it. What did you say, John? Basically the same thing? Okay. Um, so, let's define grace. I want to give you just a f- several definitions. I don't know that you'll be able to write these definitions down in their entirety because they are rather long. But one guy, his name's Wayne Grudem, summarizes grace like this. It is God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. He says, God's grace is God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. A man by the name of Abraham Booth said this, It is the eternal and absolute free favor of God manifested in the the giving of spiritual and eternal blessings to the guilty and the unworthy. Arthur Pink said this, Grace is sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the bestowment, I like that word, (laughs) bestowment, the giving of blessings upon those who have no merit in themselves, and listen to this, and for which no compensation is demanded from them. You hear that? So, in other words, it's, it's, it's not anything that God initially saw in you and said, okay, I kind of see something in them I like. It is the unmerited, undeserving, unearned favor of God. And when God gives it to you, He's not saying, okay, now you're going to have to pay me back for this. It's free. Listen to this. It is the favor of God. Now, this is a term that you're going to, that we're going to use tonight when we talk about grace. Favor of God. It is the favor of God shown to those who not only have no positive uh, desserts of their own. He's an older guy, old, written at a different time. I don't think it means peach cobbler. Okay, No positive merits of their own, but who are thoroughly ill-deserving. Listen to this. They're thoroughly ill-deserving and hell-deserving. That's important. Alright, let me help you here. Romans 3 says this. Verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? There's another passage that says, There is none righteous. No, not one. Jesus said... God alone is good. Okay? What that means is, 
that there's nothing in us that caused God to say, I think I like that old boy. I think she's a good girl. Nothing. It is the undeserved favor of God that He simply gives. I love this passage out of Romans 5. It says that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wait a second. Wait a second. I love Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. That, that Christ died for us before the foundation of the earth. That, that, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the earth. Why? That, because before we were even created... That's weird. We don't understand that. But that's the full meaning of unmerited and undeserving. There was nothing, there was nothing we did. Now, we, I mean, we weren't even here. I think that's part of the point of why, of one of the other reasons that they talk about. So here, here is this. So we are thoroughly ill-deserving and hell-deserving. All of us have sinned. All of us has fallen short. We're all deserving of God's wrath. If you don't hear, if, when you go to the jail, if you don't preach that, you're not preaching the gospel. When you go to the streets, when you talk to your friends, if you don't preach that, you're not preaching the gospel. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Another little church history thing I learned this week. Charles Finney, great revivalist. I'm gonna, I'm going to, to just give you a parenthetical quote here. Um, he said that basically that, that revival and revivalism as we know it, and he was a great revivalist, he said, um, basically is really not a move of God. But rather, it's done by constituted means. That was the, the term he used. Constituted means. In other words, what he said is this. Listen. If you get your message right, and you play the music right, and you bring all these people, he said, I can get people to come down here and get saved. That's what he said. He was a great revivalist. George Whitfield impacted and touched thousands. Wesley and him were talking. Wesley said, don't do it like that. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're really not going to have long-term results. That's really Finney. Some of these guys, that's where the altar call came from. Before that, they never did an altar call in the history of the church. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Because we're used to it, and if we don't do it, we think something's wrong. If we're not playing the music at a certain level, certain lo- they would they would tell people, just wait. Go sit down. You know, even some of the great preachers would say, go sit back down and tell you what, come see me at the end of the week. If you'll come see me at the end of the week on Friday night, meet me at such and such house and place, then I'll pray with you. Now today, we would think that's cruel. I mean, what if the guy died? You know, I mean, what do you do about that? I mean, but but one of the things they were doing is they were saying, you know, I want to make sure this is true, genuine conviction. Um, and uh, they said that that some of these guys who did this type of stuff had an eighty-five percent retain uh, a retaining of people who 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 got saved. I mean, there were 85% that actually were saved. They, they were genuinely saved. <laughs> they stay, I mean, you know, Billy Graham said at best 3%. So, but here's the problem that I have, and, and, and I know we're talking about God's grace, but here's the challenge that I see with some of these things. And, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to, to, to pick on any particular person, but the problem that I would have with Joel Osteen doing these big things, um, the problem that I have with stuff like Judgment Journey and some of these other things is, you know, they're reaching folks. Are they really? Uh, you know, and, and we say, well, but you know what? But at least they're doing something. And I would agree. At least they're doing something. I, I would agree with that. Okay? 
But how many people have we have we falsely, and I'm using the term we loosely, not referring to you or me, but maybe we have, but just in the community or in the nation, how many people have we falsely led to the Lord? They weren't genuinely convicted. They weren't genuinely repentant. And so they prayed a prayer, and because of that prayer, they got their ticket. But yet, they don't go to church. They're living with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Or they're, they're, they're into all kind of sin and immorality. And they, right, and, 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 so, you know, listen, it, it's not based on, on how good they are. But, are we really preaching the gospel? That's the key. It's the unmerited favor of God, but are we really preaching the gospel? Are we discipling people? Are we looking? And I'm going to show you some things. We're talking about grace tonight, that it's unmerited favor. However, God uses people as means of grace. Ah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so grace is this. It's completely unmerited. It's completely unsought. I didn't go looking for it. Okay? It's completely unattracted. By anything in or from us. Here's another great thing about grace. They didn't have this right in the Middle Ages in the in during the Reformation. Grace can't be bought. Grace can't be won. Grace is the act of God. It is. It's the act of God. Now, um, so we see that grace is never obligated, but is always freely given on God's part. Now, I want to take you back to some of the, the first examples um, of God's grace. Um, but before I do, let me just talk to you about it as an attribute or as describing what God does or how He moves. Um, uh, if someone will go to Romans 9.15, who's going to go there? Paul? Okay. Um, I need someone to go to 1 Peter 5.10. Do you have your... No? Okay. Michelle? Um, Brother William or Ms. Julia, if you go to Romans 3.23 and 24... Um, John, you'll go to Romans eleven six, and uh, Eddie, go to Romans four sixteen. Did I give out Psalms? Did somebody do Psalms? Okay, uh, Deb, Andrea, Philip, one of y'all, Psalms one nineteen one thirty two. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so mercy, God's grace, God's favor is something God's not obligated to give, but yet He does so freely. That's interesting. First uh, Peter five. Who has that passage? All right. Alright, may He do what? Read that last thing. May He perfect. Okay. Alright, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Alright, but did you notice this? He, the God of all grace is how it started. And then he, then he throws in something we don't like to hear. After you've suffered a while, may He perfect you, strengthen, establish you. So, 
where do we get off that we're that we don't ever go through anything? If so, man, then I need to. Whew, can I buy that brand? <laughs> because you know, nineteen ninety five. Give me seven. I'll give you seven fold. So, right, um, brother William, you have that next passage, I believe, or Miss Julia. Yes, sir. Romans three. Justified as a gift. It's good stuff. Romans 11. Hmm. Okay. So it's in opposition to works. It's, it's, it's not something that you do. It's something that God gives. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, eventually when we talk about salvation, we're going to kind of lay out just maybe some... I mean, you got you got to be careful when you lay out systems of how God saves people because, you know, God does what He wants to. I mean, sometimes in the book of Acts, God went in there and He saved them, filled them with the Holy Ghost, and Peter comes up and goes, what'd you just do? And they went rat-a-tat-tat, and he goes, okay, go get baptized. They saved, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, really, I mean, He saved them. Filled them with the Holy Ghost. And wait a second. Wait a second. We didn't follow this formula. Alright? You know, but there is, there is one thing that I can say. If I were to give you a formula, you know, if we could at least get a couple things straight, I would say first off, that all salvation is God-centered. I know that doesn't look like it. And here we go. I'll try to write this word. It is God-initiated. I guarantee you that's gonna, does that look like initiated? Alright, it doesn't, we'll just pretend. It is initiated. It is God initiated. I, 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 I'll put money on that. You can find, find me a place where somebody found him, and I'll change my mind. Maybe. But it's God initiated. That's why I think if you just do emotional type conversions, man, it's, 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 you gotta be careful. That's, have you ever noticed that within the church, what we do is we talk about the free gift of grace and then we start telling everybody what they gotta do? Well, yeah, and here's the deal. I mean, when God, when, when, listen, I can't explain, I can't explain what happened to my teenage years, okay? I gotta just all, grace and mercy has to cover that. But I can tell you that when I was 20 years old, February, I remember, in February when I was 20 years old, at, at a conference down in, in Franklin, Georgia, with Woody Woodson speaking, him preaching on that passage out of Ephesians, where he talked about, uh, being angry at do not sin. You know, and John, we, you know, we joked about, Richard's joked about, you know, about a doctrine of hate. He preached a doctrine of hate that day. He said, hate what is evil and do good. He preached the gospel that, that weekend, talking about hating what was evil. Having righteous anger at the things. I remember, he said, you hate what God hates. And you know what my problem was? I had lived my whole life, and I never hated what God hates. But that February, to a conference I didn't want to go to, with a bunch of men I didn't want to hang around. I think I roomed with Butch Brown. That's where I gave him the nickname Wolfman Jack. God touched my heart. And you know, you didn't have to tell me five things that I needed to do. From that day forward, you didn't need to tell me that I needed to, that I needed to stop, you didn't need to tell me to stop drinking, you didn't need to tell me, you didn't need to tell me, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, you know, stop doing stupid, I mean, you know, I wasn't perfect, but you didn't have to tell me that there were some things I didn't need to do. 
Because there was something inside of me that when I went to do it said, probably shouldn't do that. I didn't leave wondering that weekend what happened to me. So, do what? I don't don't think so. Uh, Psalm 119. Okay, alright. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Listen, it's unmerited. You know what? It's undeserving. But it's not to where you can't ask for it. As, a, as God's covenant people. Once, once He's grafted you in and brought you in, Lord, turn to me. Be gracious to me. Please, oh God. I need help today. I need strength. Okay, uh, the other passage, Romans four, I think. Yep. All right. So Abraham's the father of us all, but it's through grace, isn't it? It's a gift. It's nothing that we... I didn't wake up one day want to be a Jew. Right? Um, so let, let me give you just some of the first... The first promise of redemption. Does anybody know where that's found? First promise of redemption. In the Bible. <laughs> oh, he's an elder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Genesis, that's exactly right. Does anybody know where? In Genesis. In the garden, that is correct. That's right. That's right. Right. It, it, that's right. Good, good, good. He said, I will put enmity between you and your seed. And then he goes on and he says, and I'm going to raise up one. Now his his heel's gonna get bruised, but he's gonna crush his head. First first promise of redemption. And it's right after the fall. It's almost as if God has anticipated and yet prepared for it, which he did. <laughs> Look at Genesis chapter six with me. I want to show you that the first time where the word in the Old Testament there is a word for grace that's used. Um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 8, and we can back up probably to verse 5. Does anybody know what's found in Genesis 6 off the top of their head without looking? Genesis 6 is the flood. Genesis 6 is the flood. And in Genesis 6, we find the Hebrew word. It ain't a chicken, but it sure looks like it. It's the Hebrew word, Hain. And what that means is, that's the New Testament, we would call it grace. In the Old Testament, it's translated favor. Okay? One of the first times where we see grace mentioned is found in Genesis 6. Now, the first promise of redemption is found in Genesis 3, but Genesis 6, we see the first time that the word favor is used. And, so, what is the context? The context is, people have gotten really wicked really fast, and God says, I am going to bring judgment upon these people. And look at this. He says, uh, verse 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man and was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Period. Then we have verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, 
because it says found favor, that does not mean that God saw no and He said He's a pretty good guy. What that means is, is that God saw Noah and said, I'm going to extend grace to him. Because later it says, these are the generations of Noah, and it goes on and it talks about the earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence, and and, uh, God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. So there's a conversation before before God bestows grace, there's a conversation with Noah, and God says, I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to sustain you by means of an ark. God provides a provision in the natural, for a supernatural problem. That's amazing. God gives grace, favor to Noah, and then gives provision for Noah to escape judgment. That's grace. That's grace. So we see that God's grace can be as broad as describing all of God's activity towards man or it can be as narrow as one concept if we talk about salvation. But here I want you to see in this passage, you see some key concepts. And I'm going to present these words to you. Here are some key concepts that's found in Genesis chapter 6. We see, first off, the first... Well, maybe not the first, because you could say Adam. But you see election. That God saw and chose, uh, He chose Noah. God chose him. They they didn't, they didn't do an American Idol search. They didn't do an ark builder search. They didn't do a a house builder search. And, and, and you had judges, you know, and, 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 you know, they didn't bring people up and God said, let me see who can, who's best meets my requirements. No, there was nothing in Noah and God said, I'm going to give you favor. First time it's mentioned, or first time you see that all of these concepts are brought together. You see also, mercy is found. God's original intent was, I'm going to wipe them all out. God did this with Abraham. He also did it with Moses. There were several times with Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to wipe everybody out. I'll start over with you. If you notice at the end of the flood, what happens is God puts a rainbow in the sky and God says that that rainbow is what? My covenant with you so that what? I would remember, not that we would remember, but that He would remember not to ever destroy the earth by water again. So God sticks a sign that calls us to bring Him back into remembrance of His promise. With us. Now I'm fixing to take you somewhere that I don't know you want to go, but I'm going to take you there and we're going to drive there. But you just, just be, be, be good with me. Election, mercy, and here, here's what we see as well. We see forgiveness. We see forgiveness. How many of you know Noah was sinful? Right after God delivered him, the old man get, get, does a sacrifice, gets drunk. Now granted, it's not until the New Testament that he says don't be drunk with wine, but evidently it probably wasn't right then either. Because Ham, who exposes his father, gets cursed. It's not nice. Okay? So, um, look at this. I want to show you this. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. He was righteous. He was blameless. Noah walked with God. He had three sons. Shem, Ham, Japheth. Listen to this. Let me me start to tweak you right here. God's covenant was made with Noah It affected his kids. It affected his kids. 
God made a covenant that was so strong that He said, now I chose you. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's a benefit of my covenant. I'm going to bring your kids in it. What did Abraham, what did he do with Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Abram. And then he changed his name to Abraham. Father of one, father of many. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you kids and I'm not going to give you one. You know, I'm not going to, you know, but, but listen to me. Your descendants, you're not just going to have one. Your descendants are going to be this number of stars in the sky, number of, of grains of sand. Your descendants are going to be so many that you won't be able to count them. Can you see that, Abraham? Can you see it by faith? That my promise will extend beyond your lifetime? So I ask you, can you see that God's covenant purposes for your life extend beyond you? Now you already, I'm going to tweak you on something. I'm going to tweak you on something. Put your gloves down. Put your guns away. Baptism. Turn me to Romans 6. Romans 6, when Paul talks to the Romans... And he goes through. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? How do you know? And he goes on and he talks about baptism. Can somebody tell me what he, what he says baptism is like? Death, okay, yeah, death, burial, resurrection, okay, but he equates it with something. Do what? Alright. Baptized into Christ. We're buried therefore with Him by baptism one death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we've been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion. For the death He died to sin, once for all, the life he now lives to God. So you all must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Now, here's the thing. He goes on to talk about how we have become uh, slaves, not of sin, not of slavery, not, not of the dominion of darkness, but to righteousness. And so he says that baptism is a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection. Now, he also equates it with covenant. And he equates it with circumcision. Now, Do you know why we dedicate babies? Why do we dedicate? Where do we get that tradition? Old Testament? Okay. Old Testament. What was it? I think it was eight days old. And what did they do? They circumcised him. Alright, now. I'm not saying we start baptizing little kids like like Presbyterian. I'm saying I understand why they do it. 
I believe that if you're an adult, you get saved, you get in that water. Hmm. Acts 2. Okay. What we do now, yes. But what did they mean by it? What did they mean by it? What did the Jews, when they, when they circumcised their kids, what was it? It was a covenant. So it wasn't just a dedication. It wasn't just a remembrance. It wasn't just a memorial like we think of. It was, they are yours. Alright? Why do we get baptized? What do we say? I have died to myself. I have been buried with Christ. And I have been raised with Him. I've always been, man, I used to think the people that, that sprinkled their little kids, I thought they were crazy. Until I heard why they did it. Now, I still think when you're older, you know, but we just don't sprinkle water on people because we don't want people to think that we believe, you know, we don't believe in, you know, uh, Christian baptism. But look at what's happening here. It's a sign. What are you doing when you dedicate your kids? You're making a covenant with God. Now, you know what I was thinking the other day about somebody who needs to bring their kid in and get them dedicated? And I said, wait a second. They don't need to make, they don't need to come in here and make a covenant. They can't make a covenant with God because they're not in covenant with God. What this meant was, I'm going to set a seal. So here's what they say baptism is. Baptism is the seal of the covenant. God, by grace, moves on us. We, by faith, respond to the grace of God. And we make a covenant with God. And baptism... Baptism is the seal. That's why baptism doesn't save you. But if you never got baptized, you're probably not saved. Now that's a weird argument. Well, why? Why would you say that? What are you saying when you get saved? What are you? What happens? It's grace. Faith. But what is it? What, what, what is it when you're saved? What is it saying? What did we say happens? You die to yourself. You're buried. Who are you raised with? Okay. There's a principle called lordship. He is your Lord. What He says, you don't have to pray about. Now, Deb and Philip and I have had wonderful countless debates with some close folks on whether baptism saves you. Absolutely, positively not. However, If you're not willing to be baptized, are you really, have you really ever been obedient? It's an act of obedience. If you're going to be rebellious out to shoot, were you ever surrendered in your heart? Did you ever submit yourself? You know, you leave the church house and you're on your way home and you die. <laughs> Come on, let's be real. It's grace. Through faith. But it's a principle of submission. But the part, part I'm going to tweak you on is the importance of dedication. The importance of covenant in this thing. The importance of sealing 
our children. Is when you come bring your kids up here to get them prayed over, it it it's what I have learned from some of the reformers is not only is it saying I'm gonna do my best to raise them, because are we flawed? Do we make mistakes? So well then wait a second. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he'd not depart from it. So wait a second, what happens? My kid grows up and he does stupid things. What happens to me? What happens to me when my kid does stupid stuff? What do you do? What? Ah, you feel like it's your fault. I'm a failure. Maybe I didn't train them right. Sorry, folks. If you feel that way, do you know what that is? Can I just lovingly help you? Help myself? Faults, burden, bear, but it's, it, but it, I don't know because you, you do have to bear the burden, but it's probably, it's probably, it's misplaced guilt, it's false, probably false self-righteousness, maybe. Listen, let me tell you something. You took those babies, and you said, okay Lord, I'm human, I'm sinful, I'm going to make mistakes. But I make a covenant with you that I'm going to do everything I can do. And I'm going to raise them. And, I'm gonna... and you know what? Here's what happened. God takes them. He says, they're mine. I've set my seal on their heart. And then he drinks them. Yeah, but they... But you know what? They may never, they may not have a definitive date. They may not, I mean, I mean, they, they may, they may never know because they're going to, because what's happening? They're growing up in Christ. Okay? So, you know, yeah, there may be a time where the, the, just the, because, yeah, they're not saved at that point, but there's a covenant that's been made. That God's going to honor. So, that's it. They run. They can run. They can do what they want to do. But you know what? God's hand's on their life. How many people have you seen crumble under the conviction of God and then get up and run? (laughs) They run as hard as they can. They run as fast as they can. And then one day, it's like it's like they ran to the end of that rope. That choke chain was joke is jerked. You know what I mean? Okay. Probably. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I think that. Uh, but here it is. It's for the it's for those that are that are in covenant with God. You know, Noah made a covenant with God. God honored it with his kids. Abraham made a covenant with God. He honored it with his kids. Now, there has to come a time where where there is personal responsibility before God. But I think that at that point God's grace becomes it, you remember, it's not anything that we ask for, it's not anything that we seek after, but it's God's grace. What did it say? What draws people? It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. That will bring them to repentance. So, my tweak in you tonight is this. Um, I believe dedication ought to be sacred. It ought to be something that we do that we, that we highly sing. I'm not saying that we gotta sprinkle them. I'm not saying that you gotta do it. I'm not saying that. Cause I still think that, you know, you, you ought to, you ought to dunk them a little bit. Some you ought to dunk longer than others. But what I am saying is it's more, it's more than a religious tradition. There's a sacred thing that's happening between God and between that family. We shouldn't do it. 
We shouldn't do it if we know the parents are just living in sin. If they're not covenant keepers themselves, you know, are they... I mean, we, we may, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, these are questions that I have that i got to look at. What, what do we do with that? But no, for some of you that have been faithful, let me say to you that God's grace is nothing that you did to deserve it. There's nothing that you did to earn it, and there's nothing that you can do to pay it back. It's free. But we do respond. We do respond by making a covenant with God. Right? Through through baptism. We respond with our children by dedicating them. By saying, I'm offering them up to the Lord. You see, um, I I wanted to go here tonight, but um, if you look in Exodus 33... There are five times in Exodus 33 where it says that Moses found favor with God. And there was a special thing God did for him because there was favor. There was a natural thing that came about from a supernatural act. His face. He saw him face to face. I mean, it, it, his face shone. You know? And so there was something natural that occurred when there was a supernatural intervention in his life. Um, you know, in the New Testament, in the book of John, you know, it talks about it. Luke talks about it. Um, let me let me just take you to one thing real quick. Uh, if look with me to Acts chapter um, two. So we have seen that God, in His nature, is grace, gives grace. We see that God in Christ has given grace. We see in the book of Luke and in John 14, He says, I'm going to give you a comforter, one that will come alongside of you. What is He doing? He's giving grace. God the Holy Spirit gives grace to us. So these are all ways God gives grace, okay? And so I use terms sometimes in church, and you think, man, what's this guy talking about sometimes? Because I'll use terms. I'll say it's a means of grace, or it's a way that God will mediate. And what I mean by mediate is it, it, God will, will, will use this natural thing to give a supernatural thing to us, okay? So besides salvation... God will use natural things to do a supernatural work in your life. Acts 2, verse 42. I want to show you four things that are means of grace to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's one. Fellowship. That's two. Breaking of bread, three, and prayer. Now, okay, we have our challenge within the church is to be balanced. Okay, everybody sees this one's not connected. Everybody tell me how many legs is on this chair. All right, how well would Miss Sharon Grace sit in this chair if we put it on one leg? Well, that's what happens when our church is focused just on prayer. Prayer's good. Prayer's needed. Prayer's not the only thing. Here's what happens when we're a word church. All we care about is the preaching of the word. I don't care if my people ever get together in fellowship. I don't care if we ever pray. I don't care if we ever... Uh, if we ever take communion, most churches, you know, man, they, they, it's like they focus on one to the detriment of the other. Well, okay, what about what about breaking of bread? Well, that's that could be maybe our liturgical churches who do have covenant meal. That's not talking about food. 
Okay? It's not talking about us getting together and having our Sunday dinners together. That's talking about the, the, the Lord's table. Um, there are many times in Acts I told you where minimally they had it once a week, but they went house to house. So, uh, most scholars think they did it every day, if not five days a week. So, but what about the liturgical churches? Um, some of the churches where the, re- like, like Catholic churches, okay? Or, or, but let's find maybe a Protestant one. Um, Anglican church or something where they get together and they're going to have the covenant meal every week. Because they see it as a means of grace. But yet, really, there's no prayer. There's no real word that's going forth. And then there's no fellowship. So what happens? Now, we would say, because we're charismatic Christians, boy, there's no life in that church. But then they'd come here and they'd go, man. Or they'd go to a Baptist church where there's communion once a quarter and they'd go, wow, there's no life in that church. For people who understand the importance of breaking bread together, communion, they get very hungry when they're at churches that don't, that don't do it. Because they really see the importance of meeting God at the table every week. And then finally, you know, you do have churches that are, that are really based upon fellowship. I mean, you know, that's all they're about. Let's just get together and be happy. Well, what happens is, is, is eventually people get tired of hanging out. Because they're still not growing. They're wondering why they're not growing. It's because to be balanced, you've got to have all four. All four means of grace. Now notice, it doesn't talk about, you know, it, it, it doesn't differentiate. I mean, the Apostle Paul was probably one of the most phenomenal preachers and teachers. Apollos and some of these guys in the New Testament, phenomenal guys. But, but they still saw that there was a need. Peter. Still saw there was a need for all four as a means of God's grace to the church. See, we need each other. We need the Word. Every week. We need it on our own. We need, we need fellowship. And, and we need prayer. All of those. All of those. Are means of grace. In other words. God is trying to give us favor. Through these things. He's trying to show his kindness to us. I mean. Pat here tonight. You know. Pat I thought if we just pat her on the back. Yep I hate it man stinks your mom's having a hard time. Alright we'll see you later. How, how, but is that a possibility? Could that have happened? Yeah, if we were busy or if we didn't think about it. That's why the Bible says you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. Okay? Alright. So, any questions about that? Any questions about what we talked about? Is that kind of one? Okay. Alright. Well, you're still not full. Yeah. Well, yep, yep, yep. Um, let me just say this about fellowship. Um, when is the last time that you've been around people and just sat down with them and talked and enjoyed the company and laughed and just enjoyed the goodness of God together and didn't talk about issues or problems or when is the last time if it's been a while then we need to do something about that you know i mean it was just a couple weeks ago i sat down with with three other guys and for for two hours we just laughed and talked and and uh you know i'm telling you i left that place feeling good why god ministered grace to me because it's easy to get uptight about stuff. And you know, 
Yes, ma'am. Okay. No. Mm -mm.